WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina. This is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. As one of the fastest growing regions in North Carolina, Brunswick and New Hanover counties continued above average growth even through the pandemic while large urban areas lost people. Also on the rise in the Cape Fear region during that period, food insecurity and hunger. The Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina reports that 25,000 people in Brunswick County are deemed food insecure, and 51% of kids are considered food insecure. 90% of children in Brunswick County receive free and reduced lunches. Just across the river, New Hanover County, one of the wealthiest parts of the state, sees 59% of its kids requiring free and reduced lunches. Both Brunswick and New Hanover counties are what the state classifies as Tier 3 counties, the least economically distressed in the state. There are legions of nonprofits and community volunteers dedicated to solving the problem. The Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina is probably the largest effort in the state. Wilmington Branch Director Beth Gaglione recently gave WHQR's Ben Schachtman an update on their new facility under construction. We'll link to that episode in the show notes. There are smaller efforts, as well as plans to better connect needs with resources. But even with a small army in the Coastline studio today, we still fail to capture all the organizations working on the problem, which leads to one of our major explorations. Why, with so many dedicated people and available funding, is hunger and food insecurity still a critical issue in our own backyard? Morgan King is the Family and Consumer Sciences Agent for North Carolina Cooperative Extension in New Hanover County. She also coordinates the Cape Fear Food Council, a coalition working on the issue. Morgan King, welcome to Coastline. Thanks, Rachel, for having me. It's great to have you with us. We're going to meet other folks later in the program, including Sierra Washington from the Northside Food Cooperative, as well as volunteers from the Lord's Food Pantry and Porch South Brunswick in Brunswick County. But first, Morgan King. Help us understand the working theory on why food insecurity persists here with all these efforts to solve the problem. Because it's a complex issue. And that's the simple answer, right? When we're looking at food insecurity, um, we're not just looking at food. Um, I know many people are are probably um, familiar with the term food deserts. Um, Whenever we hear that term, um, what is actually being measured there is simply proximity to a supermarket or a large-scale grocery store, income level of that census tract, and then oftentimes vehicle access, right? which are all important and critical when looking at food insecurity. What's not necessarily being measured there is all the things that that's connected to, right? Um, what people are paying for housing, right? Um, what people are like what percentage of food dollars are being spent um how many jobs people are working and um, not to mention right so that's just the immediate not to mention how do we fix those things for the future so that's why um, even with this small wonderful army that we have working here in the Cape Fear region it's still a, a relevant um, issue so you're saying there are layers to this and one of one of the issues is just affordable housing like if people can't afford to pay mortgage or rent, 
they have less fewer dollars available to buy food. Exactly. If if there's a larger chunk of their money going towards being able to stay in their home, that's less available dollars for food. Absolutely. That's absolutely a an indicator and and a financial strain and stress on people. Yeah. And toxic stress is also part of the equation, as I understand it, in terms of of what you're looking at. Can you sort of, so you've laid out affordable housing. You've told me that transportation can be a barrier to getting affordable, healthy food. What are some of the other kind of major barriers that people face that, that folks who don't deal with food insecurity might not have any concept of? I think everything that comes along with food, right, uh, when we're looking at food insecure census tracts or neighborhoods, communities, um, we're looking at people who oftentimes um, have already, they found solutions, right? They found ways to get food. Um, that may be an extra barrier that I don't have to think about when I go to the grocery store, right? I have a grocery store really close to my house. It's really convenient and easy. I don't have to plan to ask a neighbor to take me. I don't have to plan extra commute time uh, uh, to take a bus or whatever that may be. Um, I also know that it would be really convenient for me to hop to a grocery store if I forget one or two staple items. Um, and I think those are the biggest things we don't think about. I think there are some a lot of there's a lot of debate around the term food deserts. Right. Um, you you're not a fan. I don't know. Uh, so the USDA has, has leaned away from using the term food deserts right. because they didn't find it as an accurate description. Right. Um, they use low income, low access because that is exactly what they're looking at. There are other people who, who use a there's a variety of terms out there. Um, I have a few uh, just off the top of my head. Uh, some people use the term grocery gaps because that's really what's being measured. Okay, It's just grocery store gaps. Um, some people use food food maldistribution, um, and some people use healthy... Maldistribution? Yep, because okay. it's all about the distribution of food. Right. Um, some people use healthy food priority areas, right? So these are priority areas that need better access to healthy food. Um, and then some people use the term food swamps, which is kind of the opposite, right? Um, there may be a lot of convenience stores or um, fast food restaurants that are convenient to people in the neighborhood, where um, full-scale grocery stores that have lower cost food is is less convenient. Um, so some, there's a variety of terms out there which makes the topic difficult to to communicate because there isn't a common language necessarily. Yeah. And so do some of these terms, I mean, I guess they, they illustrate different elements of the problem, but you're saying they also kind of prevent a deeper communication about the problem because you don't necessarily know what people mean when they use all the different terms? Absolutely. I think it, it can be confusing for people who aren't in this world to navigate all the terminology. Right? We've, we've used uh, food desert, food insecurity, food access all in a few minutes, um, Yeah, not including all these other terms. So it can be confusing for people. Um, so yeah, I do think it's a, a, a challenge for people to, to fully understand one of the things that you're working on is a food security plan. What is a food security plan? So would this be in such a complex issue? We know it's going to take all the partners at the table, right? And maybe some who aren't currently at the table. Um, Wake County ha has laid out a really great plan um, to reach food security um, 
setting it up as a, a short-term and long-term strategies, right? So they've identified a few priority areas um, and then some strategies that we need to work on immediately and some strategies that we need to keep in, in mind for down the line, right? And so this plan um, would kind of give a, a common goal for everyone. I, I worry that sometimes we get a little too siloed in our organizations um, and we kind of forget that there's a lot of people working on the same issue right here in our community. And so the hope for the plan is that it gets everyone behind working toward this common goal, but we're having check-in, we're having some accountability to each other and making sure that the strategies we're doing is working, right? That we're making progress where we want to make progress. And so um, I'm hoping that will come to fruition in the next year. And what that will be is it's just getting community partners together, mm-hmm. um, connected, so that we're collaborating effectively. What does food security look like? How do you how do you identify? Aha, we've reached food security. Yeah, so food security exists when everyone, because everyone has physical, social, and economic access to enough safe, nutritious, culturally appropriate, and affordable food, right? And that and that's enough food for an active and healthy lifestyle. Right. And so that's my goal. That's that's what we're working towards. And so you said there are also short term goals and we know there are food banks and food pantries and food drives. And in fact, I think there's a drive going on right now through the Wilmington firefighters who are asking for different kinds of food every day. Do we have enough food? Well, like, what's the problem? Is it a distribution problem to meet that immediate need or why so many food drives? I believe that uh, food food pantries are definitely the front line, right? Food pantries, backpack programs, they are people who are meeting the immediate need of our community members, right? They're meeting an immediate need. Um, there are a lot of food drives because I, I think that is the easiest for people to relate to, right? That um, it is... There's a satisfaction in seeing you help, like seeing a community member's needs be met, Right? Um, and so I do think there, there is enough food. There is um, sometimes a distribution problem. Um, and we have people meeting that immediate need. We also have people um, filling that, what I like to call the next level, right, where people are able to, to buy food um, in their community, right? I think the mobile market of Feast Nonis is a good example of that. I think um, Frankie's Outdoor Market is a good example of that. Um, and so there are some some examples of people meeting that immediate need and then also examples of coming to communities and allowing people to to purchase what they want, right? Um, and we need all of these things and that underlying um, propping people up for, for future success, right? Making sure we're getting people with well-paid jobs where they have homes they can afford. Um, so future success, all working together at one time. You're listening to Coastline. It's an exploration of food insecurity in one of the wealthier parts of North Carolina. After this short break, we'll meet Sierra Washington, project manager for the Northside Food Cooperative, and hear why she believes they're building so much more than a grocery store. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.
You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Food insecurity is an issue in the Cape Fear region. Today, we're taking a closer look at why the multitude of available resources and what those working on a solution say are the causes of hunger in an overfed, food-plentiful world. Morgan King is the Family and Consumer Sciences Agent for the North Carolina Cooperative Extension in New Hanover County. She also coordinates the Cape Fear Food Council. And joining us now, Sierra Washington. She's Project Manager for the Northside Food Cooperative. Sierra, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Rachel. It's so good to have you with us. What does community-owned cooperative grocery store mean? Yeah. Um, so usually when we talk to people about cooperative business in general, because a co-op can literally be for anything, um, the way that I explain it is a group of people come together over a shared issue or problem. And so in our case, it's our community doesn't have a grocery store. Um, so they come together over their shared issue they create a shared solution, pull their money together to fund their shared solution, and then they collectively work together to maintain it, to operate it, to govern it, um, and to make sure that it is still, you know, year in, year out, the solution that they all wanted, democratically owned, democratically operated. And so will this be a, a situation that's like another food cooperative here where there's a membership and that's how you belong? Yeah, so there is another um, cooperative in town, Tidal Creek Co-op, um, and they have been really helpful in helping us understand how do we govern ourselves as a cooperative because th- having that community ownership is really the key as to why this is a great you know, economic influencer and empowerment tool for communities who are lacking things like grocery stores or other um, uh other amenities that other communities and towns may have. And so we will have a membership opportunity for people. And um, ours is $100 one time you're a member. And we know that the community that we're working in, some people can't afford $100. And so we wanted to make sure that there was equity and that there was access for all people who wanted to be members. So we started a sponsorship program that allows for some of our neighbors who um, have a a little bit more economic freedom to say, hey, I want to sponsor someone in the north side or someone who may not have the funds to do it. I will pay $90 of their membership so they only have to pay $10 completing the $100. And it's the same level of of membership. Just because you have a $10 membership doesn't mean it's any different from someone who has $100. You think that this is so much more than a grocery store. Yeah. It sounds like a really cool idea for a grocery store, but why do you think this effort goes so much deeper in the community? Well, I think because it it was started by the community for the community. Um, I am the project manager at this point. I was hired by the board, but the board is founded by community leaders and nonprofit leaders who work within the North Side. And it started um, back in 2018 when the North Side Community Council, the North Side Health and Wellbeing Committee, Dartmouth College, and New Hanover Regional Medical came together and did the North Side Health and Wellbeing report. And they did an assessment of the community. They did door-to-door surveys. And literally, the Northside Food Co-op came out of the community saying, we want a grocery store in that survey. So when that report came out, 
um, there was a steering committee that started to meet at Fox's Boxes back in 2018. They would meet once a month, and they're like, okay, how do we bring a grocery store to the north side of town? Originally, they weren't thinking about a co-op. They were like, how do we entice some chain grocer to come and just fill this need? Um, and you know, based on economics, based on population density, based on um, just the makeup of the downtown area, this isn't the most economically appealing scenario for a chain grocer. And so again, we go back to that model of, okay, we are a community, we have this shared need, we're going to create our own solution if no one's going to come in and do it for us. And you're also kind of creating your own community connections that may not have existed before. You told me about a series of community dinners yeah. that you produced over the starting in the summer and running through the fall. Yes. Up until just recently. What what were what was special about those community dinners? Yeah, the dinners um, were just something that we started on a whim. We wanted to make sure that people were able to try local healthy foods. Um, and we also just wanted people to gather. And that was like the basis of the plan. Um, We started reaching out to community partners and we order from Feast Down East and their mobile market. And um, I will also say that the dinners were in partnership with another nonprofit, which is the Lowercase Leaders. And they helped, I mean, they curated the inception, the the conception of um, the community dinners. And the idea was community cohesion. You know, with all of the gentrification that's happening in the north side, you don't see people connecting. You see businesses coming from the outside, bringing in new people. You see new neighbors coming in, people not recognizing one another again. And it it just causes for a lot of people to be like, okay, well, I'm going to stay in my space and my home and I'm going to deal with me and my family and that's it. And that actually has been one of the issues for Wilmington as a city for many decades is – just, um, well, there's there's been a level of segregation here that has seemed intractable. Yeah. Like people get in their, in their tracks and they go to their places throughout the day and their activities in the evening and paths don't cross and people don't form friendships. Yeah, and I think that while new business is amazing and great economically for the city, um, you miss that locality of things. You miss that connection. You miss knowing that Aunt Debbie is going to feed your kids at her chicken shop when y'all don't have money and she's going to put it on tab and then you can pay her back later. And she knows your kids and she has pictures of her ki- of your kids in her building, right? Or um, you know that there are neighbors looking out for your store because you built relationship with the people who are around you. Or you know that there are unsheltered neighbors who live in your community and they're on hard times and you don't mind if they sleep outside your store. Like there is, with that lack of connection, we're also not recognizing one another's humanness. Yeah. And I think that's what our dinners started to do for people is that we had people from all walks of life all socioeconomic statuses coming together to eat food, to learn how to double dutch, to learn how to play spades. Um, And then at the end of the day, everyone's packing up together. Everyone's cooking together. Like it, it, there was, we were very, very intentional from the beginning that this would not be a hierarchical eating situation. We weren't gonna have the helpers and the helped. We were gonna have neighbors cooking for neighbors, community serving community, did you have professional chefs coming to this? 
I mean, yeah, but they didn't come as I'm a professional right. chef here. They were people who may have cooked in their day job. And then we purchased all the food as the co-op and they cooked what they cooked for us at home and brought it back. Talking with Sierra Washington, project manager for the Northside Food Co-op. So want to hear about where you are in the process of building this grocery store. But first, there was a cooperative grocery store in Greensboro that closed after four years. Yeah. So what lessons are you taking from that? And what's going to be different about the north side? Yeah, the Renaissance Co-op in Greensboro, very similar neighborhood to the north side. Um, they got a lot of traction really quickly and got a lot of support really quickly. And the money came and they opened. Um, and they wrote a, a, a kind of a reflection as to why they closed some of the things that they experienced. Um, and part of it was operational, um, this, the size of the store, how they ran their operations. But a huge part of it was not getting community buy-in before they opened the store. They got all of the financial buy-in that they needed because it is like once you hear the idea, you know, as Morgan spoke earlier, people don't have access to food. There are grocery gaps, like all of these things. Obviously, people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, we have to do something. But if you don't have the buy-in of the people who are actually living that existence, they're still going to do their normal habits. So, you know, part of a community-owned grocery store is saying, all right, guys, what do we actually want? And then continuing to engage people along the process so that they feel like, okay, I am going to change my habits once the store opens. Or, okay, I am going to tell so-and-so, like, hey, keep your hands off this store. We need to keep this safe because this is my store. You know, like there is that emotional and intrinsic buy-in for people that even if our price of beans are a little bit higher than Walmart they're still going to shop there because it's their store. They built it. They believe in it. It's theirs. So you get the community buy-in. Yes, ma'am. Let's say that you, please call me Rachel. Rachel. And <laughs> I appreciate the politeness. It's so lovely in the South. Um, and then there are going to be other people in other parts of town who maybe don't need access to uh, a food co-op, but will they be welcome to shop there? And if they do shop there, are they taking resources away from people who need them? No. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, one, I think everyone can benefit from a co-op, from the locality of the food that you're getting, from the freshness of the food, meeting your farmers. There's so many benefits to participating in a co-op like that's what it is you're participating in community and you're participating in this um, local business model right and so when we talk about um, uh, small shop Saturdays or shopping small Saturdays like that's part of what that is um, and what I will tell for people is like we were created out of a need for a community but we are not a charity we are not a nonprofit. We are a community-based and run business, right? And so our resources, we are going to have them. We are going to make connections with suppliers and vendors to make sure that there is enough food for anyone that wants to shop at this store. And in order for this store to be successful, we are going to need, one, we're going to cater to and want the support of our Northside neighbors, but we're going to need everyone who wants to shop there, who lives outside of the Northside to shop there too. Like this is... 
every one store. And that, that is the interesting part about gentrification is that there's so many people mixing together that um, it would be beneficial for people outside of the north side to come here. Learn about learn about your neighbors. Learn about what people like to eat and, and cook and be in a neighborhood that's not your own, um, but in a way that is um, participatory and not staking claim and taking over, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So there are programs, there are SNAP benefits, there are fresh bucks. What are, for folks who have never uh, participated in those programs, what are, what is SNAP and what are fresh bucks? And is that going to be part of Northside? And Morgan King, you're welcome to jump in here too, if you'd like. I'll let you go with SNAP, and then I'll describe FreshBooks. Okay, cool. All right, so SNAP um, is a government-subsidized program, um, income-based, and it allows people to purchase healthy, fresh foods, um, groceries in general at the grocery store. There's also WIC, um, Women, Infant, and Children, which is another food subsidy program that people can be a part of. And um, one, if I can just say anything about SNAP benefits, I think there is a huge stigma about SNAP and people who participate in SNAP benefits. And it is literally just helping people get access to food. So I would actually encourage people who are lower income or feel like you know they are paying more for housing and they don't have as much money that they want for food, no matter where you're at in this, like it is only going to benefit you. So I would apply and think about it and look for it. Um, and I think we need to erase that stigma. I'll get off my soapbox of that. No, that's fair. <laughs> that's, there, there is something to that. And is there, when you're checking out at a regular grocery yeah. store, is it obvious to people in line that you're using No. So um, the SNAP program has changed dramatically over the years. Um, They used to be called food stamps. And so you would actually get these little stamps that you would like tear off. And then that was pretty obvious. Um, Now it looks more like a debit card. um, And you just swipe it on the debit card machine just as you would anything else. So nobody else has to know. No, not at all. No. And FreshBucks, what are those? FreshBucks is a program for SNAP participants um, at Currently at two farmers markets in Wilmington. Hopefully, Sierra um, and her group will be able to participate yeah. soon. Um, but Wilmington Farmers Market at Tidal Creek, which is every Saturday year round, and the Feast Sound East Mobile Market, um, both do a program called Fresh Bucks, where um, your SNAP dollars up to twenty dollars mm-hmm. will be matched dollar for dollar to be spent on fresh produce. And so um, you can come, you can choose how much SNAP you want match. So let's say you wanted $10, you would get $20. And um, as long as you spend 10 of those on fresh produce, you can spend the, your original $10 in the SNAP on anything that's SNAP eligible. To encourage people to, right. to eat in a healthy way. And speaking of that, both of you have mentioned Feast Down East, which, you know, we could have added to the army here, <laughs> but at some point we have space limitations. Yeah. So why is it so important to work with organizations like Feast Down East and and put people closer to their farmers. Why does that even matter? Um, Well, one, I think the closer you are to your food, the more nutrient-dense it's going to be, the more beneficial it's going to be to your body, right? Um, And there's such, when we talk about that idea of connection, when we talk about the idea of community, knowing the people who grow your food is such 
a different experience. So I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had a million and one grocery stores near me, a Harris Teeter in the front of my neighborhood and a Harris Teeter in the back of my neighborhood. It was ridiculous. And I didn't know anyone that grew my food. And in working for the Northside Food Co-op, I've met so many farmers, and I've even gone to their houses, participated in the work. I know the labor that goes into my food. I now have ideas of how to cook the food because that's what they're eating, and they can tell me cool recipes. Um, And I feel more grounded here. Like, I feel more grounded in my physical community. I feel more confident in the food that I'm eating. I feel more of a connection to it. Um, so I think it's a physical, emotional, communal thing t- to be connected and close to your food. Yeah. And you talk about learning how to cook things and learning how to cook healthy food. Morgan, part of the food security plan is direct education, right? Absolutely. And part of my day-to-day job as an extension agent is direct education, right? We want to make sure that people are able to make their own choices and have purchasing power to do yeah. so. That's where we want to get. But we also want to make sure that they have the education and resources needed to to weed through all the messaging around food. Food is confusing. Um, There's a lot of marketing around food. Uh, It's a confusing field to be in. And so um, part of that direct education is, yeah, getting back to the basics and and helping people know what to do with the food and, you know, how important it is to chronic disease. You know, I just have to say, if if I had a limited amount of SNAP benefits and I'm walking into a grocery store, I'm probably not going to head straight for the spinach when I'm thinking about something that's going to last for the week and fill my stomach yeah. and make me feel good. Is that is that a dynamic that you have to battle or is that education? So I don't want to say battle, okay. um, largely because I, I do want people to make informed choices. And I think that people know... Um, People are smart and know how to use their food dollars, right? Research says that people um, who live in low-income, low-access areas are going to places where they can get food um, for the lowest dollar, right? They're putting in that time and effort to, to get use their food dollars wisely. And so when I am talking to people about using their food dollars, uh, I'm, yeah, getting back to the basics, right? Eat your fruits and vegetables, however that looks for you, right? It can be frozen. It can be fresh. It can be from the local farmer's market. Whatever makes sense for your food budget. Um, And so, yeah, spinach, if you know you're going to use it today or tomorrow and you like it, go for it. If not, that's okay. Just make sure we're working in those fruits and vegetables when we can, you know. And I think that's a cool thing that Morgan does with her education is that there's this level of confidence that people have now. Okay, I'm empowered in my my knowledge about this. I know the choices. I know my access points, like all of those things. And then I think with the co-op or with our other community organizations is you get that connection. Um, I was listening to um, an audio book called um, Getting a Meal in Jackson. And it was about, you know, all of the food access things in Jackson, Mississippi. And one of the things they were saying is a lot of um, well-meaning people will come in and they will give our community, oh, should I keep talking? Uh, it, we're we're going to go out okay. in, a, in a minute, but finish your thought. <laughs> They'll give people all of this education not taking into consideration their like life circumstances. And so when they hit hard times again or when the challenges come again, just like any of us, we're gonna fall back on what's most comfortable. And so that's where the relationship and the community that you've built comes into play to support you and keep those habits in place. That makes so much sense. And I love your language too, that, that is grounded in empowerment. 
You're listening to Coastline. Morgan King of the Cooperative Extension in New Hanover County and Sierra Washington of the Northside Food Co-op. Thank you both so much for being with us today. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. When we return from this short break, we'll meet two people working to feed people in Brunswick County. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. The depth and breadth of food insecurity, people who don't have regular access to affordable, nutritious food in New Hanover County's southern neighbor, Brunswick County, is staggering. The Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina reports that 90% of kids in Brunswick County public schools receive free or reduced lunch. 20% of the population in Brunswick County is food insecure. Joining me now, Mike Claxton leads the Lord's Food Pantry, a collective effort of 13 churches that make up South Brunswick Interchurch Council. Mike Claxton, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Kate Livers is the founder of Porch South Brunswick, a porch community, an all-volunteer program that coordinates monthly neighborhood food drives. Kate Livers, welcome to Coastline. Thank you. It's good to have both of you with us. Now, Mike Claxton, you dispute that 90% number of kids in Brunswick County schools getting free or reduced lunches. What is your number, and where did it come from? Well, it all depends on on uh, <clears throat> where you're looking. But I, uh, I researched um, publicschoolreview.com and went through all the schools, and they, uh, when you add up the numbers, it's about 99%. 99% of kids yeah. in public schools in Brunswick County. Receive reduced or free lunches. That's, that's uh, mind-bending. So, so Mike and Kate, you both saw a greater need for food immediately, like the, the immediate issue of hunger and people not having enough money for food during the pandemic. Have you seen any corresponding decrease now that the pandemic has ebbed a little bit and people are going back to work? So at the pantry, we, we saw just uh, as we were coming out of the pandemic, we saw a, a small decrease, but now the numbers have started going back up. And I, I think our supposition is it's basically inflation. And the tax credit expired. Right. Right. That offered a little buffer. Was it $300, I think, per child? Yeah. And there's still, um, there are still stores who are having issues in getting, having full shelves. We'll still, um, even, even the food bank, we have a, a, certain items that they carry, in particular uh, pasta sauce. Mm -hmm. They yep. cannot regularly get it. <laughs> and that's really? one of our staples is pasta and and pasta sauce. Well, let's talk about this because earlier in the program we talked a about a lot of the underlying causes and, uh, and the reasons why this issue is so intractable. The two of you are kind of working in the immediate need arena on the front lines. And so, Kate Livers, help us understand what porch communities are and how they started. So, porch itself started in Chapel Hill. Um, about 12 years ago, and it was. It was the um, moms realized they needed some um, 
food. They were hungry kids at school. So they started local food drives and it became monthly. So it kind of creates a monthly food drive. So people it, we have are able to can we I, I, so people are <laughs> able so if there's this monthly drive that people yes, in a community a know is going to happen yes so one month then, they can contribute next month they're out of town or they forget they can just contribute the next month so it and so creates. there's one person in the neighborhood whose mm-hmm. porch everybody puts the food yes. on we have a neighborhood coordinator so in the major neighborhoods and then at the beginning of the month they communicate out this is the needs for the pantry this month and we try to you know, we get the donations and then we split it up and we split it out between the neighborhood pantries. And so it, you're working with, you started Porch South Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And what parts of Brunswick County does does that community address? It is Southport, Oak Island, BSL, uh, Calabash, Ocean Isle, Holden Beach. So that whole southern area basically down. Ash. Yeah, Ash, yep. Mm-hmm. And what, where does the food go? You mentioned it goes to food pantries, mm-hmm. plural. So how many different food pantries do uh, you, and you don't have to have an exact yeah. number, but help us just understand how this works. Between like um, eight or nine, up to 10 each month, you know, definitely Matthew's Ministry. That's the backpack program in the county. So that's they, for kids specifically. Mm-hmm. So on the weekends, they work with the um, school counselors and they know and they provide the backpacks full of food. We've got the um, major pantries, so the Lord's Food Pantry is one. We have one in BSL, and then there's Brunswick Family Assistance. Then we have the senior pantries, which are part of Brunswick Senior Resource, since senior hunger is one of those things growing. Unfortunately, I read a stat, too, that senior homelessness is supposed to increase by, like, 300 percent by 2030. Um, Just because of when you look at the inflation and everything, if you're in a rental, you're a Landlord jacks it up $500 on a fixed income. So we're seeing more and more hunger in that um, population. And Brunswick County is is kind of a funny place that way, just in terms of the population. Yeah, Yeah. it's much much more uh, Mm post-retirement community. And people who are coming in with money, with means. Right. Mm -hmm. And what does that do then? to the people who have been living there and don't have means or, or high-paying jobs? So it will tend to push them out mm-hmm. uh, because the, the, the people who have the land, who have the rentals, they see um, the development coming in. They see an opportunity to take a small uh, amount of rent, sell the land, and, you know, that's their – nest egg mm-hmm. for the rest of their life. And so we're seeing the cost of housing going up, and there's not a lot of affordable housing coming in. Mike Claxton of the Lord's Food Pantry, how does this food pantry work? It's a So it's a collective effort of these 13 churches in right. Brunswick County, and how do you get the food and where does it go? So a uh, uh, little one small correction. So the uh, SPIC is 13 churches, but we also have one other church who volunteers to help at the pantry. Okay. Uh, they're not a member, but... Uh, you haven't let them into the council yet, mm-hmm. well, but they help out. <laughs> they don't want to... But they want to help. Oh. The, the people want to help. Okay. So, uh, and that's what counts. Right. Um, so we serve, uh, we are, we're open every Saturday from 10 to 12, and 
it's the pantry started in the mid 1980s. I think it's 1984 was uh, initial, and it went through several different um, iterations in in def- different areas. And in 1998, it went to the Camp United Methodist, uh, where we stayed until just this year. We just moved, and it just became. We grew so much, or the need grew so much in our in our desire to meet that need. Uh, we we ha- figured we had to go someplace else. Just to, we went from uh, we had 770 square feet in a basement, which means you were going down and upstairs trying to haul food uh, into a 3,700 square feet with a walk-in refrigerator and just. Uh, some, it's not that we didn't know what to do with the room, but it was nice to have that problem. Yeah. So um, where does your food come from? So various sources. We we get from the food bank, uh, and then we also participate in a couple of uh, USDA programs that the food comes through the food bank, but they're, they're ba- the food is basically free as far as those programs go. Uh, we also buy... Uh, what because the food bank doesn't carry everything uh, then we buy from local stores and then a lot of it comes from um, from porch uh, we we became involved my wife and I became involved in porch when uh, Kate called and asked if the Lord's food pantry could use some donations well we're not one to turn down <laughs> donations and then we just sort of you know, knowing she came from Oak Island, Southport, we said this this is not a real good um, logistically way to mm-hmm. keep doing things. So we volunteered to have a central collection point uh, in the beginning at our church uh, that we belong to. And so we would collect from the different communities and then we would sort it and do all the checking of dates and all that. And then we would dole it out to different pantries. And uh, then when we moved, we moved our operation along with the uh, with the pantry because uh, then when we collected and, and we gave a part of that to the Lord's Food Pantry, we didn't have to move it anyplace. So w- when we talk about food drives, I mentioned earlier that the Wilmington firefighters, for example, are doing mm-hmm. – uh, I don't know if it's a 30-day food drive, but a multi- multi-day food drive, and they're asking for different kinds of food each day. What does that look like from the perspective of porch communities and the Lord's Food Pantry? Are there foods that are are tough for you to get at certain points that you wish people would donate? Or what are the things that everybody donates that you're like, that again? We don't need another box of Ramen. mac and cheese. Yeah. Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Chef Boyardee, you don't you you've had I mean, plenty of that. I mean, we just get stuff. so much of it that and and a lot of uh, so one of the, the pantries we give to is Brunswick Community College. The kids don't care for it. Um, you, you're going to eat what you like. Sure. So, um, but there are so Matthew's ministry up they in Oak Island uses that. So mm-hmm. we tend to sort of we kind of trade trade off things. Yeah. Um, but you always need proteins, right? Canned chicken, canned and, tuna, and one of the hardest things to get is is canned fruit. Mm-hmm. Canned fruit right now is, and I think hasn't rice been low a little bit? It yeah. goes back. Yeah. How did uh, you told us, Kate, at the beginning of this conversation how porch started? But why did you want to get involved? Why did food insecurity? 
touch you so deeply? I think because I saw it firsthand. So in my previous corporate world, you know, I lived in D.C., you know, worked for a big company, IT project manager, and I was kind of remote from it. And then I took a little sabbatical and I started working, you know, volunteering for Meals on Wheels. And then when I moved to this area, I kind of left corporate behind and I actually started working in a restaurant. And I saw that I saw these people working so hard and they were going to the food bank and this and, and everything. And so it kind of really touched me. I was like, this is crazy. I'm like, everyone here is busting around, you know, and they can't even afford food. So it kind of just kind of clicked in my mind. I remembered Porch from when Meals on Wheels in Chapel Hill. And then I was like, let me see. And we just called. They're like, oh, yeah. You know, and they have now this model where they're trying to reach out to other areas. So they have one in Chicago and Atlanta. So it does because it creates this monthly kind of source, um, this channel of food that you're able then to. It's really it's been very successful. We've over 60 tons of food in two years we've been able to collect and distribute to help so it's mm-hmm. it's this source this continual monthly source for yeah. local food pantries yeah. and so if someone wanted to start are is there a need for other porch communities in the cape fear region we do have there is a porch in north brunswick and that does it's more in just one neighborhood and there's a porch in Wilmington, but I think, again, that's kind of isolated to a neighborhood. So there is definitely room for expansion. <laughs> if anyone in Wilmington wants to become a neighborhood coordinator, they can reach out to any of the porches at porchcommunity.org. And we'll have that link, yeah. of course, in yeah. the show notes on our <laughs> website. But even, even within Port South need, Brunswick, mm-hmm. we still, there are so many communities, because it's community-based. Mm-hmm. And there are so many communities that we're not touching yes yes that we could really and it works in some communities and it doesn't it's interesting we've had some communities come on and then they kind of drop off because it depends like some of the the bigger communities that have their hoas if the hoas have supported of it because sometimes they don't let you want you to put either the sign out or the box um but they also all have a communication channel built in so they do have their next doors and they have their facebook pages so if the community is supportive of it, it takes off pretty well. Mike Claxton, w- when we spoke earlier, we talked briefly about some of the judgment that you can encounter. You can you can see other volunteers can even have judgment about people who are in need. And w- what would you say to those folks who have never maybe faced in food insecurity on their own and, and perhaps don't understand. I, I first encountered it in my own community when we started, when we did our first collection uh, through Porch, is somebody called me and said, well, I, I never knew there was hunger in Brunswick County until I went over to the little shopping area in Calabash and saw one of those little boxes. Uh, it looks like a bird feeder but that has food in it, and you can either donate to it or take it away. And then, you know, start a conversation of, of and using the statistics of, of how prevalent uh, hunger really is. And then even with our own volunteers sometimes, they would, they would see a nice, bright, new, shiny car come through, and you don't know whether it's somebody coming in for food who has just lost their job um, or actually could just become homeless or it may be somebody coming in to pick up for mm-hmm. somebody else who needs the food. Does so you don't 
require any nobody has to qualify to no. come to the Lord's food pantry no. and and collect food. No, we're, we're we rely on people being honest and and coming if they have a need. And tell us again what the hours are and how people can come. So every Saturday uh, from ten to twelve at. Uh, it's at the old sound house at 3610 Express Drive, which is uh, conveniently enough right next to the Shalot Senior Center, which we are able to use. <laughs> We're able to use their parking lot because they're not open on the weekends. So it works out really well. We've, we've become pretty good partners with, with them. And Kate Livers, that question is going to have to wait <laughs> for the next episode. <laughs> That is this edition of Coastline. Kate Livers with Porch Communities and Mike Claxton with the Lord's Food Pantry. Thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks also to Morgan King of the Cooperative Extension and Sierra Washington of the Northside Food Co-op. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell. He also engineered this episode. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. Continue the conversation with us on Facebook. Find us at WHQR's Coastline hosted by or just send us an email at coastline at whqr.org and find the episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. Mm -hmm.